In its quest to provide an open forum for discussion of controversial issues, this station allows hosts and their guests to express themselves without any significant censorship. You're advised that any views expressed by the hosts or their guests are not necessarily the views of Tuggy Entertainment or its partners. us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Ghost Chronicles International. I am perhaps Ron Kolick, the U.S.'s leading Van Helsink, because there are no others. New England's me, anyways. <laughs> Across the pond, uh, my friend, my mate, uh, Steve Parsons. <laughs> Good evening, and Ron. the famous rock psychologist, Mr. Cal Cooper. Hello, how you doing, Ron? Good. Steve, Good. you there? I am. Oh, hang on. Hang on. Hang on. Hang on. Yeah. Mm. Can you hear me? Yeah, unfortunately, yes. Oh, I thought uh, the mic was on mute. Just... Anyways, you are listening to Ghost Chronicles International live on Pararex, TojiNet, Ghost Channel, and beyond. So, Cal, I mean, you're back, uh, what, a day, two days now? Yeah, it seems like only a day, really. I mean, te- technically, it's probably a day because we got back uh, last night. I think the plane landed about seven thirty, and of course, it's it took us forward five hours in time. Really, it pushed us. It flew us into the future because last week we were speaking to Steve from the future. Who's now in the present? <laughs> Who's now in the present? And um, Ron, you're in the past. <laughs> I'm in the so past. You're, you're in the past. You're five hours into the past. No, I'm five hours into the... Past. Whatever. <laughs> you guys are frying my brains, but anyways. Yeah, it was it was a great trip over here, Cal. We do appreciate it. Uh, everybody got to look at the uh, the young uh, Mr. Cal Cooper, and they were quite enthralled with him. And, of course, uh, the amazing Mr. Ross Bartlett and uh, old Van Helsink himself. So it, it, we, we left a, a, an impression on many, many impressionable minds. Yeah, everyone seemed to like Ross. I think he got more questions about his tattoos than he did about his psychic abilities. I think so, too. Yeah. <laughs> I understand that, that uh, Steve has a lot of tattoos, too. Uh, oh, yeah. No I, only ha- no, I have two tattoos. You do uh, have two? Oh, really? I have, I have a Ghostbuster logo on my right arm and a Felix the Cat logo on my left arm. Oh, in honor of Richard Felix? <laughs> in honor of in honor of my wife, whose name is Catherine, or shortened to Cat. Oh, isn't that sweet? Oh. Anyways, so uh, any tats? Any tats on you, Mister Cooper? Um, no, that's why I said Steve's got a, a lot of tattoos. He's got a lot compared to me. Right. <laughs> I've got a semi-tat, which means I had henna done. At, oh yes. Uh, I had at Spirit Quest, which is a. Flaming skull and the NEGP written underneath it. 
and uh, my friend Karen Ruck also got at it too, so we have uh, matching tats, so there you go. Like the Wally you can be though, you immediately dropped your sleeve over it and smudged it down your arm. So you spent the rest of the day wondering about holding your sleeve up and it looked like you'd broken your arm. This is true. This is true. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, it was, it was definitely a di different atmosphere for you, uh, I'm sure, from the events that you do there in the UK versus uh, what you did this past week. Uh, would you say that? Is that a, a true statement? Uh, I Oh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's certainly warmer over there, and it's, like, it's nicer to be outside most of the time than it was inside, because sometimes if the aircon wasn't working, it'd be a lot hotter. But um, the the buildings were certainly completely different. I mean, as soon as I got back into the UK and, um, you know, that smelled the cold air and the, the buildings around me, it, was, it felt completely different. Being in a wooden building certainly felt different to the majority of the, the brick and stone structures we have here. So, you know, I, I didn't feel too uncomfortable in that location that we had for the first weekend where you teach your classes Rom. Um, but I could certainly understand in certain areas of the building why people um, said that they felt uncomfortable in that area and you know the, the, there were parts that were different because you had that it was originally a home on one side and then you had the new build on the rest of the the, the property so it was quite an interesting place. It did have a lot of history to it, and it, you know that's what makes the paranormal so interesting is the history. I think, anyways, and you know we had the layers. The, the it was the summer home of uh, uh, Haverhill industrialists, and later became uh, purchased by the nuns who ran uh, a home for um, dysfunctional women. On all women dysfunctional, I don't know. <laughs> anyways, uh, no comment. And uh, eventually, uh, there was even a smallpox uh, house on the property and everything. So it, it had a it had a different flair to it, I think, um, than yeah. uh, what you have. Now, I, you know, like in Gettysburg, for instance, in Gettysburg was, of course, a, a major battle in the American Civil War. And a lot of the houses were uh, uh, hospitals. They were, you know, impromptu hosp hospitals and and uh, so that has a different feel to it. I mean, do you have that same stuff in the UK? I mean, you have like all these castles and, and little, uh, I don't know, little manor houses and all this other stuff. I mean, is it that kind of a history or is it a totally different history type thing? You know what, you know what I'm saying? I'll let you have that one, Steve. Well, we're certainly not short of history over here. Um, we're not short of... You know, I mean, the, an awful lot of people still live in houses that are 150, 100 years plus uh, old. Yeah. And, and we do, we have a great deal of history. Um, whether there is actually a direct link between history itself and the events, uh, historical events that took place... Really? Uh, and, the, and the modern paranormal experiences is still open to question i think but certainly wait a minute wait, steve seriously you really think that um well absolutely i i'm not discounting the history but what i am saying is it's very very quick uh or to or, you know it's people are all too all too quick to jump to the conclusion that the ghost must be or or the anomalies that are taking place must be linked to some historical trauma um mm. You know, it, it's not necessarily the case. Because the apparition um, appears to be a woman, and because Anne Boleyn lived there once, doesn't necessarily mean that the ghost is Queen Anne Boleyn's. It, you know, right. there are lots of other females that lived there, um, you know, throughout history. 
Um, and we do yeah, tend we to make famous ghost syndrome in the United States. Famous ghost yeah, syndrome. If a famous person there, must be them. But I, you yeah, know, I get what you're saying. But still, no. We we tend to make assumptions. I right. mean, you know, that because something took place in the past, or because a building is old, it must necessarily that you know the modern day experiences that people you know relate to uh, it being haunted must therefore be associated with its past. Um, and there is actually no, or there isn't any evidence to, to, to make that direct link. Hmm. Yeah. I was saying um, only to you, the, well, probably a few days ago, Ron, when we were discussing uh, Clifton Horn, some other um, issues of apparitions, that loads of people have also reported within a building that's known to be haunted, um, apparitions of living people as well walking about the place. So they don't necessarily have to be people that have lived there. They could have just visited the once, twice, worked there. You know, they don't necessarily have to have died in the place or had, had a dramatic death or s some other dramatic event take place. And then also I've experienced a lot when you go to um, events, um, a haunting uh, phenomenon and stuff where people come along to do a ghost hunt uh, they'll do a Ouija board experiment or they'll have a medium with them and sometimes um, with a medium they might pick, on, uh, pick up on someone's family member that's uh, there or the people that are using the glass um, to do uh, Ouija board experiments, they all start picking up on their family members. Now, I know that in psychology there could be this need to actually want to contact family members because um, certainly that's what gets a lot of the public involved and interested um, in the whole issue, which is why a lot of people went to see uh, Ross for a reading. Uh, but what's to say, you know, it's a, it's a difficult argument, what's to say that their family hasn't followed them to the haunted location as well? Particularly if they see an apparition of them there, which some people have. They might have seen an apparition of one of their dead family friends in a location they visit, but yet their family member might never have visited there themselves. Right. I mean, that's, that's one of my theories, is, is there are certain people who do EVPs all the time, that we call them EVP specialists here in the States, and, and that's... that's mm. That's their. their we, have, lot, we have names for them too. Let me let me finish on that. And and what I believe in a lot of those is that they actually bring their own spirits with them. They may connect with the spirits on the other side, but when they go to a location, I think they're their own spirits with them because of what they do. Go ahead, Steve. I didn't mean to cut you off, but I did want to finish that. No, no, I was just um, making the point that you know you have names. You call them EVP specialists. Uh, likewise, over here we we have names for people who specialize in EVP particularly in haunted locations. Do I want to know what they are? Probably not. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but, let's, I mean, let's, you've touched on EVP and this, this location-based uh, recording of uh, electronic voices. Uh, some people you know, use uh, call it in instrumental transcommunication, direct voice phenomena. Um, there's a whole raft of... of uh, in fact, the, the newest one over here is AVP, which is actual voice phenomena, oh, uh, which, which is quite current at the moment. Oh, um, tell, me, tell me about it. Well, well no, this is, this is a term um, dreamt up by a British ghost investigator um, who, in order to set his own recordings apart from everybody else's and to give them greater credibility, has decided to coin the term AVP, actual oh, voice, in order to, you know, his are actual voice recordings, oh, or real sure. phenomena, as opposed to everybody else's, which are just... Make up. Make up. Um, and, do you know, there is actually... You know, 
not again not very much to support some of the claims that are made for evp recordings i mean yeah by all means uh if we look at the the original work on evp done by raudiva jurgensen and countless others there is there is an argument for making location based recordings uh you know within uh, a haunted context uh but in terms of how it's being done by modern ghost hunters, i.e. taking a handheld recorder, wandering around the building with it and saying, is there anybody there? Have you got a message for me? Mm-hmm. Hitting the playback button and then straining to hear the response while everybody shouts out, it said, help me. It was a male voice. It was a female voice. And then by a sort of consensus arrive at mm-hmm. a demon that was telling them that they're all going to die. Um, it, it's, there's no controls in place. There is no uh, proper analytical uh, methods used to determine what's on the audio track. Um, the device is handheld. There is, so it's, it's subject to lots of other you know, uh, problems like handling noise of the device, uh, extraneous noise in and around the building. All of these are picked up. And because humans, we tend to hear both with our eyes and our ears um if you if you a good example of that is if you're in a crowded room it's perfectly possible to have a conversation with somebody but if you put uh, an audio recorder between the two of you in the same crowded room and play it back the the recording will be nearly unusable because the levels of the two individuals talking will be drowned out by all of the surrounding noise picked up by the recorder um Mm. And so it is very, very difficult to make a judgment as to the, the, the value of these EVPs that are being so readily offered forward by ghost investigators. Hmm. Yeah, no, I sound I mean, like a small sport tonight. The, <laughs> EVPs, you know, I, I do have a problem with EVPs. I think EVPs are, are, are quite interesting. If, if they're pertinent, I mean, if you ask a question and, and you come back with a you know, a direct answer. To me, that that's more valid than just some word that comes out. It, you know, it, you may not hear it, but, it, you know, if it's it's not a direct answer to your question, then, you know, what is the pertinence of it? What What is the validity of it? Uh, to me, that, and there's a lot of that, and, and you're right, there's a lot of EVP that you can barely... Uh, here at all that makes any sense at all unless someone tells you to listen for it and then you begin the matrix at audio matrixing on it and then uh, yeah you might hear it even then it can be quite difficult Um, I I listened to Jeremy Dontremont's talk on the Haunted Lighthouses before we actually went on the tour of the Haunted Lighthouse on the boat which was great but he he showed us um, not only the table tipping experiment that he did which is quite interesting but he also gave some examples of EVPs and he did have um, written underneath each slide where he had the sound files what was actually being said in the EVP. But I knew they were going to come up because he'd already warned. So I, I looked away, shut my eyes, and had my head to the ground just so I could listen each time. Uh-huh. Uh, and some of them, I really struggled to find how some of those EVPs had been interpreted as what was typed out underneath as what's being said. I, I couldn't actually hear. Yeah. Yeah, I, I couldn't hear anything. Um, but, except for, you know, the, as Steve said, someone possibly handling the EVP recorder and a thumb might briefly catch the microphone, which might make a sound, which we can then relate to some word or something that makes sense to the question that might have been asked at the time. 
Um, but some other ones were very good. Um, but it also made me question why is that someone else in the group that has spoken under their voice to some extent and no one's really noticed and it's got recorded. Well, so, see, that's uh, the thing is, is that you, you've always got to be aware of who's with you, where everybody is, and in, in, in the environment you're in. And, and that's really important. Like, I, I know on a couple of those, I know exactly where it was recorded, when it was recorded, and who exactly was there. So hmm. I can tell you, uh, in certain circumstances, the, all the, the who, what, when, where, why on that. But there are other ones where certainly I wasn't present, or, or even if I was present, I realized there could be a lot of contamination. So... Uh, it, it's a it's a difficult thing, but you do have to have that that you know who what when where why and all that stuff, yeah. and that's really important. I think it's so, also uh, important to consider EVPs where you actually have um, multiple recorders um, producing the same phenomena, and that that you know that has actually happened. It's happened to me to my group during an investigation. Uh, a noise event that lasted for several minutes um, was actually recorded by more than, if I remember rightly, more than a dozen uh, sound recorders simultaneously. And when comparing all of the tracks, they all had exactly the same audio event on. So clearly there you have something that's extremely difficult to explain and extremely challenging for the investigator because it's very, very easy then to say well, clearly something did take place. Clearly it's not a, a malfunction in a single piece of equipment. Well, Steve, we got actually a couple of questions here, one in the Pararex and one in the Tojinet chat, so uh, I'd like to address them. So uh, I'll take the one in the, uh, the Pararex chat first. And this is from Nick, and he says, if a person has low energy level, can that person absorb energy instead of getting B12 shots. I have no clue what that has to do with EVPs, but <laughs> uh, evidently, I, I, I hear what he's saying. If you have a little yeah. energy, uh, could you be basically a psychic vampire, I guess? I'm not qualified to answer that question. I don't know. The only thing I can say... Superstition. Um, yeah, the only thing I can say from that is uh, reverting to what um, you guys actually spoke to him, because I was away, it was Dr. Sean O'Callaghan when we had him on the show, and he was talking about people, that their psychological mindset and their, their social skills, their social vampires, and they seem to be able to kind of gain more energy and um, enthusiasm and physical energy just from kind of draining it from other people and just being around them. Uh, that was their way of, as he called it, sort of feeding instead of uh, drinking their blood. That's the only thing I can really relate it to. I, I, actually, and I, can, I, actually, I can understand. Believe, believe it or not, I can actually relate to this. Okay. Because uh, when you think about it, uh, let, let's take a look about, uh, for instance, if uh, the UK is playing uh, uh, football in, in, in the Olympics against Australia, who they love, I'm sure. And... Uh, the UK scores. I mean, the crowd ha puts out this energy, and, and even people in the crowd who are not normally as excited will still jump in and become energetic at the same time. So, in, in, a, in a way, it's kind of transferable. 
I'm not just throwing it out there. I'm not saying this is fact, by the way. This is just a possible uh, explanation. You know what I'm saying? Or you can feel the same jubilance of people. And, and sometimes, you know, when someone's in a good spirits, that, that's actually transferable in the same way as someone's in a really grumpy mood. It's, it's also transferable as well. So in a way, I guess, on in those instances, energy is a bit transferable as far as, uh, can you kind of see that point? Or is it just total hogwash in both your eyes? Well, all of the athletes um, in our record-breaking, gold medal-winning Olympic team have all commented strongly on the, the input from the crowd, how the crowd is almost acting like an additional team member, giving them that that additional impetus to push mm-hmm. further, get the gold medal, which have we got 20 or 21 now, Cal? Um, no, I'm not watching that. Actually, there's, there is a medical condition that's been identified amongst, uh, by Australian doctors recently related to the Olympics. It's called Olympic finger. Uh, and it comes from... So seriously, it comes from um, Australians scrolling down their iPhones, um, <laughs> scrolling through the, the medal tables to reach the bottom where the Australians are. Okay. <laughs> You're going to leave it at that. All right, that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> Enough said, don't, worry. <laughs> don't worry, Steve. I did a joke on the weekend and it went down like a lead balloon. <laughs> yeah. I just okay. stood there in front of the audience. I went, moving on. <laughs> Wait till the end of the week when America's number three in the medal chart behind Britain. Exactly. You know, I, you know what? I hope you do. But I mean, you know, I have no uh, animosity to any country and, and I love the UK and I, I hope they do well. And I hope they oh, do. I don't know. I don't know. What about France? We spit on the fringe. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know of a single nation that likes the French. I don't think the French like the French. (laughs) Well, there goes all our French listeners. Sorry about that. (laughs) Both of them. Moving on topics now. uh, We're going to bring it back around. I know we've spoken about EVPs. Oh, you can't run away yet because we still have one more question for the chat room. Oh, go on then. Go on then. Yep. And this is from uh, Spooky Palooza. She's from New Hampshire. And uh, she says, the value of some EVP that doesn't directly respond to a question asked is that something is learned either by either the entity can't hear us or they're ignoring us. So I guess they're saying that why we don't get the direct EVP is because the entity can't hear us or they're ignoring us. Well, there is another possibility that I think, you know, again, I'm being a sports sport tonight, but there is the other possibility that there isn't an entity there at all. Uh, okay. You're entirely... Well, some, well it, it's not an opinion. It's, it's a valid point. Uh, you know, I'm coming across as a sports sport tonight, which I, I really don't mean to, but, you know, oh, we, don't, we, we are, we are dealing with... Don't give me that. We are essentially dealing with something that we don't have all of the answers to. We can fill in some of the gaps in the puzzle. We can fit some of the pieces into the jigsaw. But we can't, you know, it's actually, I think it's quite dangerous to make an assumption that there is an entity there to begin with because that skews the whole line of investigation. If we assume that there may be an entity there, I think we're we're likely to end up with a much more balanced uh, investigation. Mm -hmm. That's really... um uh, kind of interested me with the, the telephone call stuff and EVP and, and working on something at the moment trying to figure out 
what is it that makes the person interpret the the phone call from the dead or the EVP what it is, either from the dead or some people believe it's contact from other dimensions, some people believe it's alien contact, why and what's the circumstances surrounding that particular individual that's led them to have the experience and interpret it the way they have Mm -hmm. as well. So, uh, you know, and it, it probably might not be from the dead, it might not be this entity, it might not be from aliens. Um, but why they chosen to interpret it that way when it might have perfectly rational explanations? It, it, it actually might be the chorus effect too, where we have <laughs> a uh, we have a uh, a aurora around the planet that emits energy and actually is transmitted through the Earth's atmosphere and uh, into our recorders. I they call that, that yeah, they call that dark curly haired matter, Ron. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Anyways, uh, moving right along. Uh, <laughs> Uh, so it was a tumbleweed just gone past then? I think so. Anyway, I'll, ex- I'll um, explain later, Steve. I'll explain later. I'm sure you will. Uh, anyways, um, so you, I, you owe me one, uh, Mr. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, <laughs> uh, the other interesting in talking about energy and in, in, in feeding and so forth, I mean, during Spur, of course, we had a couple of uh, witches involved uh, as well. And, you know, witches uh, work with energy all the time. I mean, they don't work with it like you do, Steve, or or Cal, in the scientific way. They use it back in the old ways. And But just because they do it that way doesn't mean that we can uh, deny that they are not working with it. Or or can we? Uh, Well, no, I, I wouldn't begin to decry somebody's beliefs. Um, I mean, that would just be wrong. I mean, talking, you know, in terms of physics, then, you know, if we take, you know, a witch, then they are capable of giving off a great deal of energy. Um, I think, you know, I'm sort of making a bit of a stab at this, but I think around about 30,000 kilojoules if you burn one of them. Um, (laughs) So there is a great deal of potential energy to be had in a witch, but as to them using and manipulating energy, it's not just a, a, a claim of witchcraft. It's a claim of many religions um, that go back throughout the ages, uh, this ability to be able to interact with the environment, to manipulate it. Um, and there is actually uh, some evidence, I'm sure Cal will follow up on this, some evidence from parapsychology that suggests that there is an ability of uh, the individual, the mind, uh, the consciousness, to interact with its environment in the form of PK, um, sorry, psychokinesis, um, yeah. and there have been studies done that have that have you know quite ably demonstrated that. Cal, yeah. Um, well, if we if we talk about it on an, an emotional aspect and um, whatever you're feeling can then affect the environment, we have Dr. Sylvia Hart Wright. She published some studies in the Journal of the Society of Psychical Research on um, people that were suffering from bereavement and subsequently had PK experiences, the psychokinesis effect. Um, lights were flickering, radios were playing up, telephones, things would be moved, and so forth. And also, um, oh, Steve, we could could we relate it to the stuff you sent me a while ago on people influencing water as well? Absolutely, but we've got. I think yeah. we've got an ad break, Jim. Yeah, we have soon. I don't think we'd have yeah. time to fit that. In. Yeah, we have about 30 seconds left before we go to break. But yeah, I'd like to talk to a little bit more about the the water experiments. That that would be really interesting. We'll talk about that when we come back. Yeah. From the then, th- then, then, then I'm going to bring it back onto the topic we were going to discuss for the show. 
Oh yeah, I forgot whatever that was. You know me. Yeah, uh, I'm gonna, anyway, I'll bring it back. I'm sure you will. You are listening to Ghost Chronicles International with Mr. Steve Parsons, Cal Cooper, and Ron Colwick. And we'll be right back with the following message right here on Tojinet Parrot's Ghost Channel and beyond. Welcome to Tokinet, radio with a cutting edge. They're creepy and they're kooky, mysterious and spooky. They all talk gobbledygooky, the Parrax family. The shows are paranormal, not stuffy but informal. The topics are abnormal, the Parrax family. They're strange. Deranged. Unrestrained. So grab your favorite brew. It's time to rendezvous as we give awards to the Bear X family. All right. Hi, I'm Ron Kolek, author and lead investigator of the New England Ghost Project, New England's own Van Helsink. And I'm Ann Kerrigan, the blonde bombshell, and I'm the lead investigator of East Bridgewater's Most Haunted. And we'd like to invite you to tune in. Ghost Chronicles, the next generation. Every Wednesday night. At 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on www.toginet.com. So, so yeah, what are they going to hear on this stupid show? What are they going to hear? They are going to hear things that they can't believe are happening. Like uh, Beyond Bizarre. And Cemetery Tripping. Oh, that's your deal, right? Absolutely. Yeah, one of these days you're going to get uh, so scared of one of these cemetery tripping things that uh, you'll, I'll have to get a new co-host. <laughs> I am brave beyond belief. Nothing yeah, we'll see. scares me. Except so anyways, if you're bored and you got nothing to do on Wednesday night, tune in to Ghost Chronicles Next Generation with Ann and Ron. See you then. Yeah, back. You are listening to Ghost Chronicles International with the quite high reverend Mr. Steve Parsons, the very low Mr. Cal Cooper, and the just right Ron Kolick right here on Tojinet Ghost Channel, Pararex and Beyond. Thanks very much. Hey, there you go. Uh, so anyways, I, I think, uh, Cal, you want to put us back on track, but can, can we talk a little bit about this uh, water stuff? Uh, I think Steve would be a better place to kind of discuss the water studies because well, I've he, lost uh, the track here. You were going to talk about it, so um, well, I'm just trying. I, I, I'm just trying to find out exactly how much energy can be obtained by burning a human, i.e., a witch. <laughs> well, you, you, you told you said how many kilojoules it would take. Yeah, well, that was, an, that was uh, a, you know I was making a guesstimate at it. I'm actually trying to get an accurate figure. I wouldn't like anybody <laughs> to accuse me of not being uh, scientific. So, are, you actually, I mean, are you actually looking up on Google now how much energy is burnt when no, you burn? No, I'm looking in a physics textbook, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Marvellous. Steve, you don't know how refreshing it is. You're actually looking in a book. I mean, I get so many quotes from people who uh, quote Wikipedia, so give me a break. I am, I'm quite impressed, my friend. I have one or two books, as does Cal. Mm. Uh, in fact, I, I have um, one sat right next to me. It's Richard Felix's What is a Ghost? That's not there a go. I have, entry, <laughs> I, have, I have an entry in that. I believe Parsons does too, if I'm correct. Uh, yeah, yeah, you do. Yeah. You do know that, Steve. 
Uh, no, because he never sent me a copy. Um, we, no, I was quite impressed. Dr. Matthew Smith's in there. Stacey Jones, Chris Fleming. Um, where are you, Steve? I've lost you. I don't know. I don't know. Oh, there you are. You're, you're there wearing a, a sort of trench coaty rain mac type of thing. Yeah, well, what am I doing? Um, you've <laughs> got you your hand... Well, actually, you've no, got I mean, one hand... One hand in I mean, in what context am I in the book? I know what the picture is. Uh, okay. Do you want me to read it out? It's, it's a couple yeah, of well, paragraphs. Go on, then. All right. Yeah, because right. I'm curious. I, I've never seen the book. Okay. Um, you've got a, a lovely... Cal had to come over here to get it. Yeah, I did. <laughs> There's a lovely little photograph what that I think was, was taken... Oh, I'm sorry. I could have done... <laughs> it's taken from Steve Parson... Uh, sorry. Let me start again. The picture that is there is taken from the front of um, So You Want to Be a Ghost Hunter DVD. And it says, Steve Parsons, Parascience. What is a ghost is the eternal question that all of us engaged in psychical research have been striving to be able to answer. It could be argued that, sin, uh, that science really only took a serious interest in trying to answer the question in 1882, following the formation of the Society of Psychical Research. Before then, the question either wasn't asked as society simply accepted ghosts and spirits as part of their unseen world, or was occasionally tackled by philosophers and men of religion. So did you write that, Steve? Um, I have vague recollections of writing it. Yeah, there's uh, uh, three or four paragraphs, and then it goes on to some other people, like people from TAPS. Well, that's uh, valid. Yeah. Uh, yeah, in fact, uh, the guy from Taps is straight after you, in fact. Oh, so, finally. You, fame at last, you say. I'm in the same book as the guy from Taps. You are honoured. But Ron Ron has a picture in there as well. He has a section. <laughs> that uh, that takes you up to page... Um, it's like a who's who of the, um, the paranormal world, isn't it? It is. Ron, can you post one over for Steve? <laughs> oh, do I have to? <laughs> no, not really. <laughs> very, very rare, you know. <laughs> no, it's all right. I'll wait till I mug Richard one day. No, I'll, I'll send one. I'll send one over you, Steve. Uh, they're Richards, anyways. You know. So, <laughs> <laughs> Cal, get this, get this, get this program back on track. Yeah, Steve, have you found out how much energy uh, comes from? Burning? I wasn't far. I wasn't far off in my original estimate. The the figures vary. It depends okay. on how heavy the witch was and what she had for dinner. Well, witches weigh the same as a duck. We all know that. That's true. That, that was a proven science. <laughs> I, I hate to tell you, but we have a uh, witch in the in the chat room, and uh, you know she's. I mean, I, I wouldn't want to piss her off. That's all I'm trying to say. I, I, we're, I'm not we're, dis we're, we're discussing simple physics. I saw I mean, once. I, I, I can't say where. But so when, saw... when somebody human spontaneously combusts, how much do they weigh afterwards? Um, a, a lot less, really. If they've turned to ash. Not all of them, though. Usually their foot is left behind. Yeah, why, or, why is it oh, right. a foot left behind? No, that's yeah, paranormal. That is strange. But then again, when you burn a candle, it doesn't necessarily burn the entire thing away. Um, it doesn't leave the foot, though, does it? Well, <laughs> no, but it, it leaves some wax behind, and then the wick's just sat in the middle, and the bone in a person is effectively acting as a wick as it burns and breaks breaks down the skin and the fat and the fat and the liquid from that then gets absorbed by the bone to keep the burning going um so that's we probably a, we have a book on this that we could we could actually uh reference yeah, hang on how to burn witches <laughs> volume one 
Volume 1. Actually, do you know what? Historically speaking, um, it's the Americans who burnt the witches. Us yeah. uh, over here, we tend well, to... Wait a minute, the hang- French did too. Uh, now, historically speaking, actually, we didn't. We just hung them. The French um, did. They burnt the French did, the- but... but no, it was us. Um, and we only built, burnt it because we were cold. Um, <laughs> but over here, we tended to hang them. Um, so two of the great reference works on, on, on witchcraft uh, are actually uh, probably Cotton and Innocent Mathers, The Discovery of Witches. Um, and there's some, you know, there's some great information about the early witchcraft. Um, it doesn't actually give any details about the physics of burning witches, but it, there is a section I understand... I'd be hard-pressed to go and find it in the thousand-odd pages. Um, but there is actually a section discussing how best to construct a, a pyre and to, yeah, to effectively burn a witch. Okay, so yeah. we're going to have to do a show on this. I will do some more extensive research and come back with some startling facts for you so that uh, we can discuss this in an intelligent manner. Garlic, tinfoil, in the oven, about an hour. Yes, Mark, fuck. That's a duck, not a witch. <laughs> no, you have, to, little, you have to put some little little uh, coffin nails in it so it tenderizes. Yeah, I've got a vision go. of, a, of a witch on a pie with a cherry in its mouth and a mouth. All right, fast, change the subject. Change the subject. Get okay, let me let, let me bring this whole show back on track. We, we've got like twenty minutes to go, so I want to at least get this in. Um, Steve. Um, it seems that um, recently you've had something very big come about, or um, certainly big for you, <laughs> and it's that you don't like ice cream, do you? Sorry? No, actually, I don't oh. like ice cream very much. Well, that's not, that's not it. You brought this on the show. No, 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 don't let, don't let it go. No, off, no, no. Don't let it go. It's, re- it's real serious science. This week, um, over here, Cal had his book published uh, <laughs> some, some months ago, and... Um, we, uh, I felt obliged to respond, um, and have just this week uh, had a paper, scientific paper, published in the Journal for the Society for Psychical Research, which completely uh, looks again at the topic of infrasound and the paranormal. Um, wow. I've posted a link onto the Ghost Chronicles Facebook page, which has the paper, uh, but it all goes back to the late 1990s and Wait, Vic Tandy. Sorry? Has Karen seen this? Karen okay? Uh, he doesn't know anything about infrasound. Moving right along. <laughs> <laughs> well, not that I haven't taught him. Um, so, going back to 1990... I'm only joking, Kieran. Um, going back to 1998, um, a guy called Vic Tandy in Coventry here in the UK came up with this idea that infrasound at a particular frequency close to 19 hertz was responsible for the production of these experiences within, within locations that people uh, you know, were affected by the infrasound and went on to you know, uh, have these experiences. Now, his paper was published. It was followed up two years later by a second paper called Something in the Cellar, um, which, which did some further work uh, on the theory. Um, the subject of infrasound has been my PhD subject now for the past uh, six years. And as part of that, I've examined the, the theory that Tandy put about in this 19 hertz. 
and have produced a new paper which, which critically challenges uh, that original paper and the assumption of the 19 hertz involvement. But it also critically looks at some of the subsequent experiments that have been done to look at the effect of infrasound on people, um, notably those done by Professor Richard Wiseman, Professor Chris French, uh, indeed uh, some of the experiments that involve Kieran O'Keefe. Um, and question the validity of those experiments um, and whether infrasound is actually being uh, A, does it, does it have an involvement in the paranormal and B, is it being measured uh, properly by those who seek to, to answer these questions relating to it? Mm. So and I think the- overall, well, I was going to say overall, the paper... Uh, might be a bit of a surprise to many paranormal investigators who have based experiments uh, and ideas for their own work on the the research and the paper of Tandy. Um, I think they'll actually find that they've been uh, working on a misguided assumption for the last 40 years. Yeah. Well, not duped. Tandy, Tandy didn't dupe anybody. He was a pioneer in the field. And the first in is the one who, you know, he pioneered the field of infrasound research, uh, paranormal infrasound research. And, you know, he made a hypothesis. Unfortunately, Tandy didn't live. Um, you know, he, he died suddenly before his, his own work was complete. So we don't know what the ultimate, you know, end game of his research would have been. But his first hypothesis... Um, was and has led to this sort of misguiding of uh, psychical research and it, you know this assumption that infrasound this particular range of frequencies close to 19 hertz has an involvement in the paranormal experience so what briefly do you believe was originally misjudged and seriously flawed compared to what you've discovered now uh, at, the, the, at, the, at the most basic level, Tandy made a uh, mathematical miscalculation uh, about the standing wave uh, that was present in the workshop, and his miscalculation led to this uh, figure of 19 hertz being given. Um, there's a little bit of... Not complicated, but there's a little bit of mathematics involved on my paper, but it shows mm. that that the, the mathematical calculations made by Tandy uh, were flawed. But I think more seriously, um, the fact that 14 years has elapsed and there are now over 100,000 Google pages dedicated to infrasound and the paranormal, all based upon this particular frequency. There's even a movie, 19 Hertz the Movie, um, subtitled The Frequency of Fear, which is sort of springboarded from this original paper. Um, in actual fact, you know, the original uh, frequency mathematics was incorrect. And the work of several uh, researchers and parapsychologists uh, who have sought to, to test this idea has also been deeply flawed. By, yeah. by, not only by this original sort of uh, idea of 19 hertz, but indeed their own work, because they are, they're basically psychologists and what they're seeking to measure is... Uh, the physical world, um, you know, quite often they're hampered by their own lack of understanding or or assumptions that are made uh, about the way infrasound behaves. So one one of the things you've always kind of told me, really, and is it mentioned in this new paper, the fact that they're going on about this 19 hertz or Vic was, 
and you've always told me that it's more so a, a fluctuation. It's going up and down between, say, 18 or 20 or so. It's never actually standing on 19 hertz alone. Is that correct? Is that what kind of draws in the new paper, the fact that it's not a standing... Well, set? the... The, the, pa- the paper ends. Sense. Yes, the, the paper ends with uh, you know and uh, and poses the question, uh, you know, is it you know should we really be interested in for sound research at all? And the answer is you know from my own six years' work, an absolutely resounding yes, um, but not uh, frequencies single frequency specific infrasound yeah. uh, as as promoted by Tandy and tested by others. What the research is actually showing is that um, infrasound has a strong involvement in some cases, mm. uh, but it's infrasound of a full, full spectrum range between, you know, uh, close to zero and above 20 hertz. But yeah. also... Uh, infrasound that's fluctuating, you know, slightly. Um, so you might have a centre frequency produced by a machine or produced by weather, um, and where the frequency is shifting very slightly, uh, up or down, or varying in intensity uh, by a few decibels, that's much more likely to induce the the sort of experiences that that we can relate to uh, paranormal experiences than would, for example, sitting somebody in front of a 19 hertz infrasound tone generator um, and, you know, expecting them to see ghosts. Um, It very much comes down, you know, in favour of infrasound has a strong involvement in some cases, but not uh, 19 hertz and certainly not one one specific, any specific frequency. You've just made me have a good hard think about all the parapsychologists that have referenced Vic Tandy's work and actually stated yeah. this 19 hertz. And I've realised that even I did it as well. <laughs> There's um, an article that I did in 2008 for the Paranormal Review, which was apparitions and eyewitnesses. I was just going through a few rational explanations for apparitions. I briefly discussed the Tandy and Lawrence and the Tandy paper and specifically mentioned the 19 hertz, which now is obviously flawed. <laughs> But I mean, that you, you did nothing wrong. I mean, you, no, you, no, I didn't. I, I'm just saying I can see how much it's kind of. You referenced what was available at the time. And, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, originally we thought the Earth was flat, and and those people yeah. weren't wrong at the time because they were referencing whatever the yeah. information they had on it. Eventually, yeah, we not, found out that it I'm was wrong. That's absolutely perfectly correct. But what yeah. I, I think one thing that does come through this um, for me for me, is, is actually the failure of the peer review process. Um, Tandy's original paper um, was uh, submitted and it was, it was peer-reviewed prior to publication. And to be honest with you, um, it should have been spotted then. Um, perhaps the peer-review process didn't involve um, somebody with acoustic knowledge or an acoustic engineer who, who perhaps would have been in a position to have to have spotted that that, that sort of uh, fun, fairly fundamental key mistake uh, in the calculations um, I did spot it a number of years ago but you're in a position where it's as science operates I can't merely say uh, there's nothing there, there's nothing wrong. I had to devise a whole series of experiments which have been run over the past five years um, where I've had to generate large large amounts of infrasound at 19 hertz in order to conclusively test the idea that people were not being affected uh, or were being affected 
um, by this infrasound. And, and that's why I can say with confidence that 19 hertz, and we have experimental data to back this up, that 19 hertz, uh, no matter how much of it, you, you know, how, how loud it is, uh, is not going to cause people to, to see ghosts or, or, or have paranormal experiences. Uh, we know that to be, you know, from, from uh, testing, you know, 400-plus uh, people in one, in one location. Um, but we, do, we, we also have the data that demonstrates quite clearly that infrasound affects <clears throat> around about one-third of the general population. Um, so in any given group of people, around about a third of them, we would expect that if infrasound is, is involved in producing the, these experiences, um, then a third of the people present will, will start reporting this type of, the, you know, the, the associated experiences. These would be, for example, uh, a sense of uh, presence, a sense of anxiety and foreboding, uh, fear, almost verging on terror in some cases... Sort of like um, our radio show. Possibly. Um, a whole range of psychophysical effects can be directly linked um, to infrasound. And it's not just the work that, that I've been doing or I've been involved with. It, this is also work that's been done by the, by the military, by environmental um, acoustic researchers who have been looking at the effects of machine noise, wind turbine noise, uh, a whole raft of you know uh, subsonic and infrasonic frequencies on the mass population uh, in terms of you know does it affect astronauts pilots lorry drivers train drivers shift workers um, and so the, there's, there's a great deal of data uh, to link to so has this has this actually greatly affected your phd in a way or is it kind of just shown a learning curve really because obviously you i would have thought you'd test right at the start which is what you did um vic's theory and then gradually throughout the phd it's showing that no actually this isn't what's going on and you've actually shown that infrasound's doing something else so has it affected uh, your phd in a negative way or you class this as a major positive uh no 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 this was actually part of the planned process of the phd because it was okay you know, I, I did rec I did recognise quite early on that there was uh, a flaw in the original hypothesis, but mm -hmm. uh, as you've identified, um, part of the process of, of demonstrating that flaw, uh, first of all, you have to you know test the original hypothesis. So, was you know, would producing 19 hertz have an effect on people? What sort of effect would it have? Um, you know, in terms of the experiences there that they reported, and you know. That was part of the process of discovering the, the, the flaw with 19 hertz. He may have made a calculation error, um, but he was still on the ball with identifying infrasound. So this isn't yeah. a, you know, a, a slam dunk on Vic Tandy. Um, he just got the numbers slightly wrong. And I'm sure, you know, had he lived, then he, 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 may, he may have made this discovery himself. Because after all, he was the pioneer in the field. Yeah, I was just looking through some of your references, Steve, because I've actually gone on to um, the Parascience website and looked at the JSPR paper. There's some references going back to the 1970s with infrasound. So what, what were the thoughts on infrasound in the 70s compared to now? Because I only thought the main research was going on really with Vic in the 90s. So what was the research in the 70s on infrasound? Or is it just a title and it doesn't really relate to the phenomena? 
Oh, no, it very much does. In fact, the very early researchers, uh, psychical researchers, recognised that vibrations, which are, you know, caused by... Uh, there isn't essentially any difference between a, vibra- a, a structural vibration and an acoustic vibration. Um, that vibrations may have been, you know, implicated in some cases at Belekin House, B House, in the 1890s, the SPR. Yeah. Uh, suggested the use of seismometers and seismographs in order to to monitor them. Harry Price used to have in his part of his ghost kit was a bowl of mercury to to observe these these uh, these vibrations. But the reference you're talking about is ni- in 1974. It's the first direct mention um, of infrasound in relation to a ostensibly paranormal uh, experience, and that was actually made by. Um, a, a, a Canadian researcher, a, a neuroscientist, uh, uh, Michael Persinger, Professor Michael Persinger, whom, whom mm. many will associate, of course, with uh, EMF studies. Uh, he was, you know, the inventor of the God helmet and the, the, you know, a lot of the theories behind EMF measurements. But he suggested in 1974 that infrasound may be uh, one of the reasons why people experience a sense of foreboding and fear and anxiety immediately prior to earthquakes. And that, uh, you know, it may be worth examining as a possibility. He, he wrote those three or four brief lines and didn't do anything further related to infrasound, probably because, you know, he recognised the incredible difficulties that exist in, in being able to accurately measure uh, and record infrasound. Um, so, yeah, uh, 74, it was the Canadian researcher Persinger who first identified a possible um, link between, or first suggested a possible link between infrasound and paranormal experiences. But it wasn't until the sort of 1998 with uh, Tandy's paper, The Ghost in the Machine, where, I mean, Tandy lit a fuse that, that, that just blew up, um, you know, it's still being reported today. There are still, you know, journals and science blogs and newspapers that still refer to Tandy's original idea and his original hypothesis of this frequency of fear. Hmm. So where is this, where's this actually going now then? Is that it, book closed and case closed, or can you actually take this even further now? Are you going to? Um, oh, much, much next? further. Um, well, the next stage is uh, is to obviously to continue to discover more about uh, the nature of infrasound within the environment. We need to, uh, for example, for the last four years has been an ongoing survey that's been measuring and documenting the infrasound at haunted locations and non-haunted control locations to find out if there are any differences. Is there more infrasound at a haunted castle than a non-haunted castle or within a haunted room compared to a non-haunted room? Um, and that's required, you know, you can't just go out and buy equipment off the shelf. The equipment had to be designed and built um, and calibrated to, you know, proper standards. So that's that's still ongoing. That should hopefully be ready for a, uh, publication next year. Um, but there are still yet more discoveries. In fact, I, I, I can't, I don't really want to go into great detail, but there are there are some discoveries that, uh, about infrasound and its involvement within the psychophysics of you know uh, humans that might give us some greater insight into the way that uh, infrasound causes these paranormal like phenomena. Okay, so there's a lot to do. There's an awful lot to do with with infrasound. 
All right. So we'll, we'll have to go back to that. But I know we're running out of time, and I do want to mention a few things before we do run out of time. Anything you want to add, Cal, before I uh, go on my uh, high horse here? You may as well go on your, your high horse here because I'm, I'm still scanning through Steve's paper at the moment and I'm actually quite intrigued to read through the whole thing rather than just check out the references. There you go. <laughs> Which is what I'm doing at the moment. I actually want you to mention that our website, uh, Ghost Chronicles International website, is getting a redo. Uh, the new shows are going to be uh, a lot of different things that are coming this way. We're going to start doing uh, theme shows where we will pick a subject and uh, let, let our listeners know in advance so that they can contribute to it as well. And uh, maybe even suggest some reading, boys. What do you think about that? Excellent idea. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so that's recipe one thing. for ducks. Yeah, on ducks. No, recipe for cooking ducks. There you go. So we could definitely. And witches. That would be good. Uh, but anyways, uh, I know that that's uh, one of the ways we're going. But we, we have a new episodes, that, I mean, new uh, little episodes that we're going to add as well to it. So um, I that, look for some new changes to Ghost Chronicles International, only to the good, though. And uh, I do want to mention one other thing, too. On August 18th, uh, we will be doing, we being myself and Jeremy Donsmont, the Lighthouse Expert, uh, we'll be doing a haunted uh, cruise out of Rye, a three-hour cruise. And um, if you go on our website, which is neghostproject.com, the letter N, the letter E, ghostproject.com, the information is all on there as well. Uh, so we'll be doing haunted uh, ghost tours of Portsmouth Lighthouse, the benefit of the Friends of Portsmouth Lighthouse as well. And I think that's the following week. So, Kelly. Yes. I was about to say, I can recommend the, the boat trips. I thoroughly enjoyed that. But I, I felt quite out of place, really, as a parapsychologist on a, a boat. I couldn't really do much. I felt like I needed to put a wetsuit on and diving tank and take one of your K2 meters under. Can I just add, uh, for all of those who are interested in infrasound and going further, if you, if you do download the paper from the link on the Ghost Chronicles Facebook page, the appendix tells you how you can detect infrasound with an iPhone. Really? Thanks, Yep. Give it the website quick, Steve. Uh, it, it, it's on the Ghost Chronicles Facebook page. Okay, use that, everyone. Parascience is your your website? Yeah, but the actual link to the paper is on your Ghost Chronicles Facebook page. Yeah, but I'm pushing you, my friend. Parascience is your website. <laughs> and Cal Cooper is Cal's website. So, till next time, good night and God bless everyone. From ghoulies to ghosties, long-legged beasties. Things that go